Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I am really excited for the guest on today's show. We have Jen joining us, and she is also a podcast host, which is really fun. And she's the host of the Investor Mama podcast. And we actually met back in a podcasting class. That was really cool. So welcome to the show, Jen. Kat, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. I think you're doing such great work and I love everything that you have going on. So it's really, really a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. I have really enjoyed the episodes of yours that I've been able to catch. And I think that although I'm not a mom myself yet, there are so many PA moms out there. So I think that a lot of the listeners will get a lot of value out of today's episode. Great. Well, I'm excited to serve and uh, yeah, I'm an open book. So Everything's on the table. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Do you mind sharing a bit more about yourself, Jen, for the listeners, for those who aren't aware of who you are and what you do and things like that? Sure. Well, uh, my name is Jen. I'm a mom of two um, and I have an angel baby. So we have three children. Um, My husband and I, we've been on our financial independence journey now, accidentally, I guess, for many, many years, when I was working at, um, oh, was it? it was No, I'm sorry. When I was at my friend's house, this was probably like 15 years ago already. Uh, it was funny because I had two really good friends and it, my life was almost like the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, for those sure. of you who had read it. I had one friend's dad who was an uh, attorney. And he used to work really, really late, but his office was maybe 10 minutes from the house. And he used to justify coming home so late because if he were to work, you know, in the city or somewhere far, it would take him like an hour to commute. And so that's why. So he would just work the extra time instead of actually coming home earlier. And then my other friend's dad actually owned (laughs) the building that uh, the attorney was in and he was you know, never there. He was always with his kids. He uh, was out playing golf, whatever he wanted, he'd come and go. And he actually told me when I was really young, and I wish I would have actually listened. I kind of listened, not fully, but he said, invest in index fund, buy real estate, and then just set it, forget it for the next 30 years. And and he gave me the uh, book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which blew my mind. And then my financial independence journey was off to the races. And so we did get a couple of real estate properties, you know, we did index funds, but we made a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, but fortunately, even with all the mistakes and through everything, uh, because my husband's a high income earner and because we were just very frugal, we are pretty much coast fine now. And so back in 2018, 2019, I can't even remember, 2019, uh, I launched the Investor Mama podcast because it's one thing 
to be on your financial independence journey uh, before kids. And then it's a very different (laughs) scenario after kids. And so I just, there's, it's just different when you're investing in real estate, it's different with kids. We have different issues that people don't talk about, like even just conceiving can cost a lot of money or dealing with aging parents, all these topics that are so important, but are so nuanced. And I just didn't really see it out there or find anyone really that relatable for me personally. And so I figured my friends were always asking me money questions. Why don't I just record? And um, at the time, so I think I had mentioned this earlier, we had lost our son, Nathan, uh, this was our second child at, you know, at birth. It was mm-hmm. like horrific. And so I was pregnant again with our other son, fortunately very healthy, but I really needed a distraction. And so starting Investor Mama was also the impetus. And uh, yeah, so then it's, now we're just off to sure. the races. <laughs> it's been a lot yeah. of fun. Well, thank you so much for sharing that background, Jen. I can't imagine how difficult it was losing your one kiddo, but I'm really glad to hear that you're able to kind of take the journey and start your podcast. And like you said, it was probably a distraction at the time, but I think right now you've been able to create something lovely from it. So thank you for sharing that background. I really appreciate it for the listeners. Yeah, no problem. And uh, it's just, I always tell people too, what that taught me really importantly was that you just like was the big bad wolf is always going to come like it is it's just are you prepared for it and thank god we had our money house in order because for just for his funeral we uh so i'm i'm jewish my husband's not and so our my family is already buried in jewish cemetery but because he isn't you're technically non-jews are not allowed to be buried in a jewish cemetery so but i want long story short we had to buy our we had to figure out our situation really quickly because we didn't want nathan buried with the no-name babies so to just basic basic stuff it was over 12 grand to get it up and going and i was like absolutely of course but 12 grand is not cheap (laughs) especially like if like you're just starting out or you know, it, like we were in the process of buying a house um, at the time, too. And uh, this was totally a curveball for us. But it was just, of course, how could we not yeah. <laughs> give him a proper burial? And so it was just a wake up call that there's always going to be something in life. And are you prepared? And if you're not, it's not to scare you by any means. But just to take the baby steps necessary to get in a position where maybe not $12,000, but at least you have maybe a thousand, two thousand $2,000 that if God forbid something happens, it's not the end of the world. It's not the stress. It's not the panic. It's the, okay, yeah, this, this stinks. It's not great, but it's not the end. Like we can figure yeah, it out. Yeah, totally. I know that both myself as well as many close friends and family members have lost other family members throughout their life suddenly too. So My dad passed away unexpectedly, and I can definitely relate to trying to kind of distract myself a little bit. I think that a little distraction can be good for the soul, so to speak. So, yeah, I'm so sorry for your loss. It's it's never easy with aging parents and everything. I had to deal with some something similar too, and even that there, it's just always something. (laughs) So, and the more you can, like, I know money's scary. I know money can be really scary, but the my the thing I always say is we were never taught this in school and unless your parents taught you and for many people that's not the case how would you know exactly like how would you really know 
So give yourself a break. Like, it's okay. Know it. Like, know that you don't know. But but then own up to it and say, okay, now, now it's totally, time to Totally, exactly. I always say for the PAs that are listening, whether they're current or future PAs, it's amazing how we go through so many years of college and get our master's and things like that. And we come out with these six figures of student loan debt, usually for the most part. And it is so depressing how little how little we are taught about finances. And yet we have to balance, you know, trying to pay off our debt with making more money than we've ever made in our lives. So that's a huge impetus for starting my podcast, too. So thanks for sharing that as well. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And I mean, I could say a whole lot about the whole college system and all that stuff. But uh, for someone who is in a ton of debt, though, um, it, it really like, no, it, it, sorry if, if I hope I can say it, it's like totally. it sucks. <laughs> but, but like there, if it can be done, it's just, it's going to take time. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a quick hit. But there's definitely ways to strategize. And my whole thing is like, if one person can do it, then there's definitely a way. Yeah, so. for sure. Maybe a longer journey, but it's not a for you know for an impossible journey, and you know all all of that. Yeah, so. exactly. And for the listeners, if you haven't read Rich Dad Poor Dad yet, I'll definitely include a link to it in the show notes because it's a pretty good book for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was great. The only thing I didn't like is it it, it blows your mindset open, but then it's like, okay, what's next? And then that was where I was kind of like from there. And then it was, I went down the real estate rabbit cool. hole. And I'm really so. looking forward to talking more a little later in the episode about real estate with you too. I think that'll be a really fun conversation. Sure, Yeah. So you did share kind of what made you start investor mama podcast already, but do you also mind elaborating Jen, why you feel like it's important for moms and women alike to learn more about finances and particularly financial independence? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I personally believe that, especially if you're a parent, especially a mom, because your kids really look up to you. It is not only important, I think it is a responsibility for you to get your financial house in order so you can set the example for the next generation. Um, especially now that like dealing with aging parents, think of this, if your parents don't have their, you know, money situation in place, now you're dealing your sandwich generation. You're dealing with your parents and you're dealing with yourself and your kids. It's a lot. And that is, at least for me personally, that is the last thing I want to do for my kids. Like I see what it's like to have to manage, you know, not even just money, but just all of the estate. Like, do you have a healthcare directive? Do you have a will? There's so many things people don't like talking about, but it, it's the reality of life. And instead of being afraid of all these things, it's something we need to embrace. And so as a mom, especially there's so many moms and dad, or there's so many moms who don't know even what their financial situation is. Uh, maybe the husband knows, or maybe somebody else knows, or, you know, whatever the situation is, like you have to know what's going on and you have to like own it, like your own money. Do you really know what your debt is? Do you know how much income you really bring in every month after taxes? Do you know where your money is going? It's uh, silly questions and may seem simple or may seem daunting, but whatever it is, if you don't know, then what are you leaving your kids? Like they're not going to know. And like I said before, the schools aren't teaching this yeah. stuff. So I just know for me, once I had kids, the, everything changed in my mindset too. It was no longer about me. It was about them. And I 
not only teaching them, but even before teaching them anything, I knew I, I need to get my house in order. And I knew I had to set an example before that I could even, you know, start talking money with. That's them. awesome. I think you're an amazing example with your kids. And I think that's <laughs> great that you're able to do that as well. I think on a Thank you. maybe sadder side of the coin, too, is that I've heard so many horror stories of how females or, you know, women alike and moms, if they're in the dark completely with their finances, sometimes they can unfortunately be in an abusive situation where their partner is taking complete advantage of the financial situation. And if yes. they're completely left in the dark, have no idea where all the funds are going, then it can be really disheartening to hear the horror stories that I've I've read primarily online in different financial independence groups. Yeah, I actually put together a resource called uh, 20, 21 Tips for Navigating Money in Your Relationship because I think it is so important if you are not even even if you're not married or you're not even with somebody else, just with yourself, like have a money day conversation. And it's it, it can be a little scary, especially if you've never done this and money is taboo. But wouldn't you rather just know and like peel the bandaid off? Yep. You know, it, it's kind of like once you're in, like, this is what I always say for people who are in like ton of debt. Once you know your debt, okay, it, it's not scary. It's ugly. It's intimidating. It is frightening. It is nerve wracking. And you want to keep pushing it off and you don't want to face it. And you don't want to face it. But once you just like look at it, like just write out all your debts, write down what the interest rates are, write down when they're due, write it down. Because no matter what, they're still due. You're still going to have to pay them. Whether you know what it is or not, they're still there. They're not going anywhere. But at least once you know it, like pat yourself on the back. Because from that point on, as long as you kind of don't get any more debt, which, you know, that's I know that could be a a whole other topic in itself. But at least from that point on, you're never going to be worse off. You're only going to go up from there. So just like embrace it. I know it's only going to get easier. And at least for me, that that's something that's like exciting versus something scary. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that's great. You don't know where you're going or where you can even be headed if you don't know where you're starting from, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, 100%. And that's why I just think it's so important for especially for women to just sit down with themselves, spend time. I know it, especially if you're a mom, it's tiring. It's exhausting. Don't do it all in one day. Just maybe give yourself like a week, two weeks, just spend maybe even just 15 minutes a night, do one thing to accomplish. Like maybe it's just looking at your past month's expensive. Maybe that's just the one thing you do and just look at it. <laughs> like you can go on your accounts. Even if you don't do all your accounts, just take your major credit cards, look through, just do one thing, but then check it off. Like you did that one thing. And then the next night, maybe it's like looking at your debt statements and just saying like, okay, let's just total this number. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't have to be, but just like the little things you do, it's like this, the book, The Slight Edge, it's the simple things, easy to do, easy not to do. But the, if you don't do it, you're going to end up in a bigger mess. But if you do do it, it could change your yeah, life. That's awesome. Very cool. And Jen, do you feel like moms experience particular challenges when they're trying to invest or learn financial literacy? And if so, what are they in particular? Yeah, I actually just did an episode with Rinda Gupta. Um, which blew my mind. It was on credit card debt. And I had no idea how messed up our system is against women and minority women. Uh, I I was just really blown away that 
this the system was made for men. So Brenda, she's she's awesome. She was, I believe, she's a project manager for the Chase Sapphire okay. Reserve. So she like created cool. this card. So for many of you in the financial independence world, like this is the card for travel hacking. And she was denied her own card. Like she put together oh my this goodness. whole credit card, the points, the system, everything. And she's like, what? How is I? And she had no idea. And then she went back. It was because she just, she always had like her dad's credit. Like she never had her own credit. No one taught her. And then even when she did have credit, women usually typically get lower credit limits than men. Hmm. And so one of the factors that contributes to your credit score is your credit utilization. So for someone who has a lower credit limit, you have higher debt. So your ratios are off. And even then just thinking of the points that the points are really geared towards men and where men spend money and what men do more so than women necessarily. Like there, if you think of all the travel points, like there's not much about diapers or like nursing sure. supplies or even thinking of the points. Like it was just really cool. Like if you think of like all the travel and the luxury traveling, well, if you're a mom, they're not necessarily set up for like diaper changing taste stations or for nursing areas and all this stuff. And it was just like, ah, so right there, credit, which is like the one thing, no matter what your GPA is, your credit score is what matters when you graduate, whether you're going to be able to get a loan, whether you're going to be able to buy a house, all these things. And like right out of the gate, women are at a disadvantage right there is wow. huge. So that was like the first thing that was like totally eye opening and that impacts like if you want to get a loan. So if you want to invest in real estate, you want to start a business, you're you're severely, you know, set back. And then even then, once you say you get through all those hurdles, right, you get through all the credit. I know just buying a house like, you know, being a woman in real estate, there's definitely still a very male dominance in it and what women know and what women do. And then when you throw kids on it, like I know when we screen tenants now, I bring my daughter along because one, I didn't have anyone to watch her, <laughs> but two, like I did want it for teaching purposes, but like when she was younger, it was, okay, I have to bring the toys. I have to bring the this, I have to bring the that. So even when I wanted to go look at houses or do everything, it's just like, everything's a process. Like, especially when you have kids, it's not, it's not just you. It's like, or even if you want to go do something, it's finding childcare, it's finding, you know, whatever so it's just very different and then also if you're trying to save for yourself and now you have kids to feed your expenses go up even you can be as frugal as you want when you have kids there's just more expenses no matter what and then on top of it too one of the most expensive things parents have is child care sure. which for us we're in the northeast it it was fifteen hundred dollars a month oh my for goodness one and three thousand a month for two Ugh. like at that point it's not even worth it to work yeah. for some women so then you're out of the job market and then you're, you know, so there's just so many things I could go on and on, but there's, uh, yeah, it's just very hard. I feel as a woman, as mom, and as I mentioned even earlier, just dealing with, uh, you know, aging parents usually typically falls on the female, whatever it is, that's usually kind of how it is. And then also, like, I, I know a lot of my friends couldn't conceive and that was also difficult. And, you know, I feel like... It's very different for the woman than the man um, in dealing with that. Not not to say, but, you know, I, I know it's bad on both. It's just different, but it's still the woman's body that's going through all the, you know, whether the IVF or what, you know, it just takes a toll and it takes yeah. money. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think once you become a mom, it's just 
or you know even just being a female in the personal finance space it's just a very different lens yeah like you said Jen I think that there's so many different layers to all of that and I don't think you even scratch the surface right I think that there's so many so many different layers to it and (laughs) I mean just you know from my perspective again not a mom but a female working in medicine I have read studies and heard that often males that work in medicine make so much more than females, whether they are PAs or physicians or whatever. And it's pretty disheartening to hear that as well. Yeah. Well, do you find even where you work, like do women talk about their salaries and stuff? So I would say that no, not usually. And I don't know if males do tend to do that more so. There are definitely more females than male PAs out there. But I think that the ratio is becoming a little bit more even. So I don't know if males tend to talk more about it. My thought and thinking and a little bit of reading is that males tend to be a little bit more confident about negotiating. And I think that that's probably huge Mm. with they're just more confident about applying to higher paying positions and then attempt to negotiate higher as well. And females just don't do that for the most part for a lot of people. No. So. No, I I did an episode with Tori Dunlap on negotiating your worth. And yeah, it's it, the numbers, like you said, are very uh, staggering between male and female. And even just what's almost acceptable for women, <laughs> what they say and what they don't say. There's totally when someone's hiring, uh, like just, just the interview itself is, uh, what's it called? There's totally sure. gender bias. So yeah, it's, it's difficult what, you know, world we're living in, but it sounds like it's improved somewhat over the years and we can be optimistic that hopefully things will get better. And that's why it's so important that we have our podcast to try to teach and empower other females to learn more about finances and to try to negotiate their worth as well. 100% agree with you. And then I think you touched on this a little bit already with bringing your young kiddos with you for screening tenants and things like that. But do you mind sharing what all are you doing to try to teach your kids about investing and saving and just finances in general. So I'm actually about to start something I had learned from Chelsea Brennan from Start Smart Money Mamas. Um, she's amazing. And she, because uh, we have young kids, so ours are five and, and two. So they're still very young. But she does something where you don't tie your the kids' allowance to money, but you still give them a paycheck. Uh, not a paycheck, but you give them money every month based sure. on their age. And then they can divide it up into the three jars, saving, uh, charity, and then for spe- spending so that they have their three three jars or whatever. And so then she lets, after, you know, three to four months, she takes her kids to Target or wherever. They go around, they pick the goal, they put it on the bulletin board, and then they save for that. And so I, my husband and I literally today were just talking about this, so I'm very excited to start this with them. But uh, one of the things that we've already done is, so we do own a couple of properties. And so we really teach our, especially our daughter that, because she's five, so she kind of understands that we buy houses, we provide housing for people, they pay us money to live there, but we want to make it really nice for them. And then when we're able to use the money to go to Disney World, go on fun trips, get some toys, things like that. So she's already learning the concept. And then the other thing that I started, which kind of backfired a little bit, was teaching her to solve problems uh, as a way to kind of get creative with business ideas. So like 
one thing she came up on her own actually was with housing because she was telling me her friend wanted to move but there was nowhere to go and i said yeah so there's a lot of people right now looking for houses but they it's very difficult to find something and i was like so that's a big problem that's why there's like a housing problem right now and she goes why don't they just build more houses? I was like, actually, that is the solution to the housing crisis is building sure. more houses. <laughs> so, but apparently she's taken this solving problems to school where she tries to solve her friend's oh, problems okay. when they're not listening, that the that she has the problem to solve when the teacher tells them to do something and they're not doing it. And I'm like, no, that is not your problem to solve. But <laughs> So there's only so much you can do, but uh, I, d- I definitely think it is important just like we talk about money in front of the kids we're very you know what's going on is mommy working why is mommy working what's mommy working for mommy's working too like because it's important to work and you should see mommy work and mommy enjoys working but mommy loves spending time with you and so mommy works sometimes so we can have more time together and just things like that you know I think the younger you start, it just becomes more of the norm and making money not a taboo topic is, I think, one of the biggest things you can do. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I think that it can be challenging with, you know, seeing my young nieces and nephew and you want to try to spoil them with lots of toys and have lots of fun with them. But at the same time, it's like when they're that young, if you can try to take them aside and teach them a little bit about saving and not having to buy three of the mm-hmm. same toy and, you know, stuff like that a little bit can yes. be kind of fun. But I think, like you said, the earlier you start, the easier that it goes and can become more natural too with time. And the one thing I'm learning is kind of like trial and error. Some things are just too sure. over her head and I don't want her to get a bad yeah. taste of it either. So it's also okay not to force it down their throat when they're young because I know some people are like so excited. I know I am very gun ho but I know I need to like – rein it in a little bit as well uh but but again i i still think we we should be having and i also think just with my husband and i we talk about money like today our dryer blew i was like oh now we need a new one and so we were talking about it for the kids like how much do they cost you know this one costs this much but this one because it's like for a long-term investment it's okay to spend a little bit more if we get more benefit if we're not going to get more benefit spend the less but for something like that's you know just like you know your bed you're in your bed you sleep in it you know every night that's an okay to maybe splurge a little bit more things like that and but she heard this conversation I have no idea what went in what went out but she was in the room she was listening to it and again because we had our also our financial house in order we were able to have this like we were very blessed to be able to have this conversation and it was uh okay the washer blew whatever but Again, it's not the end of the world. We can figure it out. It's not going to blow our budget. There was no arguing. There was no screaming. There was no tension. It was just a normal conversation, just like we talk about what what a kid's going to do after school. What are we going to, you know, buy today? Like, what's the, how are we going to fix it? Yeah, definitely. So, speaking of trying to have an open dialogue and be honest in conversation and things like that, you did touch on a little bit earlier about your resource that you have online on your website. Do you mind sharing just a few of your favorite tips that you have for navigating money in your relationship? Yeah, so this is fun for my husband and I because we do not do some of those tips because my husband is very (laughs) against, not against, he's just, I shouldn't say against, that's the wrong word. He's very, uh, like, he just trusts me. 
So for him, he's like, all right, just tell me what I like need to do. But like, I'm going to like, which is hard because it's a lot of pressure, but I'm totally the money nerd in the relationship. But what I have, yeah. So, but what I have found, and I'm curious your experience, I've always gone in really with like an open mind and we, we have, uh, we have joint accounts, but we also have separate accounts, which has also made it a little bit easier. We trust each other. Now, this may not be for everyone, but my husband and I, we trust each other. So it's more of just like, I'm not judging you. You don't like whatever. So we can spend what like, and we check in. We're also now at a point where like we just we're very like frugal to an extent. Like we know we don't spend much like we know what our spending is every month. It's not like we go drastically, you know, on a purchase and any big purchase we've made. We always would just talk about it. So, um, but I do think, I do think the biggest thing is like, don't judge what the other person spends money on. Don't judge where they're at. Go in with an open mind and an open heart. You love this person, hopefully. (laughs) So, um, what they made with money too, they, they didn't learn, they may not have learned about money either. So cut them some slack. Now it doesn't give them the excuse to just blow money and splurge and all that. And if they are hiding stuff, I would that's huge red flags for me but if they are like you know willing to you know work with you and willing like don't put so much pressure just you know and don't do it so often where it becomes like a drag but you know like you need to track your finances but see how much you can kind of do yourself if you're more of the money nerd and then when you really need them you know let them know what it's important to have that kind of conversation yeah definitely and my husband sounds very similar to yours where he's like He's like, well, I don't know. What do you think is best? And I'm like, well, that's what I'm trying to, you know, learn this stuff with you so we can come to our own separate conclusion and talk it out a little bit more versus like, oh, you got it. You can figure it out. You know, if people don't really have interest, but it is very interesting that most couples seem to be that way where one person will Mm -hmm. either always be that way or at least take it upon them when they learn some financial literacy and then the other person can often not have much interest. So I think it's very common that couples will be like that. So how did you get your husband to the table? Yeah. So I think it's a work in progress, truthfully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. But it is more so about trying to figure out the best way to communicate to your individual spouse or partner in general. So my husband definitely does not like confrontation at all. And I learned that right away towards the beginning of our relationship Mm -hmm. that anytime I would attempt to raise my voice, he would just shut down completely. So I learned that I have to not raise my voice, even though I feel quite frustrated and instead try to talk in a calm manner and express my frustrations as much as possible during that. So (laughs) it's, it's so funny because I think you have such a calm voice. (laughs) I appreciate that, Jen. (laughs) Maybe that's, maybe that's, um, part of my skill in working in family medicine and now mental health and psychiatry to try to have that calm voice when I talk to my patients. But (laughs) no, I do raise it sometimes when I'm frustrated for sure. Um, But it's also interesting too how I think that we talked a little bit about this offline before our interview about how my husband and I definitely have two different perspectives in the sense of I'm so forward and future thinking of let's save and invest for the future so we can get to financial independence and enjoy, you know, life at that point. And he's so about let's live life now and have fun now. And 
both he and myself lost our dads at young age. So his dad was in his early 50s, early to mid 50s. My dad was in his early 60s. And so we're trying to meld the two where we don't know how long we're going to live. No one does, obviously. But at the same time, you do want to save and invest for the future to try to reach financial independence, but also enjoy life now and enjoy the journey. So we do our absolute best to try to compromise and find the good in both of those sides for sure. And that's why I love having separate and together accounts. That works for us. Again, it may not work for everyone, but this way for your husband who wants to splurge and do the things, great. Let him do it and be fine yeah. with it because you're still doing both. And I, But I do, I will say this because I've found just with myself too because like we're Coast 5. We really don't need sure. to be saving like crazy, but it's just from doing it for so many years. And it is also... I feel like since, you know, um, Nathan and I also lost my mom, um, there is a lot of me now that's more of, you know, we have kids, we should really be enjoying the yes. time with them. And I I think it's a catch 22. It really depends where you are in, in your journey. Because for those who are even, it doesn't matter on your age, it just matters where sure. you are in your journey. Because if you're more in the beginning, then yes, you need to focus, I think, more heavily onto the saving and the investing because you again you don't want to be a burden to your to your kids but if you're later in your journey and you all feel like you're in a good spot it's okay to let yeah. go and it's okay to spend a couple of extra do- dollars on the nicer you know dryer washer whatever uh it's okay to take the trip that you want so but that's why i think having a conversation with your significant other is so so crucial because you may not know where you really are on the journey. You could be at zero. You could be negative. You could be further along than you think. Or maybe you're far along, but all your money's tied up in retirement accounts and you still don't have an emergency fund. So personal finance is personal. I've heard exactly. that a million times. But it's, I think what's also just important is just like, besides just knowing where you are in the journey, just always trying to learn and improve yeah. yourself. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Very cool. It's all about intentional spending. You need to figure out what you and mm-hmm. your significant other truly value in life and spend on those things yeah. and cut costs fiercely in the things that just don't matter, don't bring much joy out of your guys' lives for sure. Yeah, 100%. And if everything brings you joy, well, all that can <laughs> <laughs> like yep. gotta, There's got to be a little give and take there for sure. A little bit sure, of prioritizing. And yeah. you did touch on CoastFi a couple times. You mentioned that just in case some of the listeners aren't familiar with what CoastFi is. Do you mind sharing that? Sure. So CoastFi, and I feel like there might be other definitions of this because there's always sure. multiple definitions of every financial right. independence term. But I define it for, for our – is that we if we never saved another dollar in our life when we're at quote-unquote retirement age in our 60s or whatnot, uh, we will be fine. We wouldn't need to save. So – it's not a specific number. It's just whatever, you know, based on your expenses, um, do you have enough to cover your expenses and at what point in your life? So what, like how much do you really need to save within COSFI is, you know, if you just let it ride for the next X number of years at that point when you'll actually need to access that money, you'll, you'll be Exactly. Okay. And when you say let it ride, the money is invested usually in low cost yeah. broad based index funds likely index funds, and then the yes. power of compounding interest just makes that value keep going up and up over time yeah awesome Correct. yeah or if you have real estate maybe by a certain point when your real estate's paid off you'll have your rental income coming in or you know you kind of know i know taxes and 
uh, insurance may go up, but you'll have like a ballpark range of really how much income. Perfect. You're so let's talk a little bit more about real estate, Jen. Since you have shared that yes. you are working <laughs> as a real estate agent, can you share your perspective first with this interesting market? And then we can talk a little bit more about using real estate as an investment tool. Yeah, so I do not have a crystal ball, but uh, I will say from everything I'm I'm reading and and listening to, and you know, um, I am just seeing with my own eyes, uh, people are waiting for this like crash to come, and it feels like there should be a crash, and there could be a crash, but it won't be a bubble like in '08. And people are there might be a dip, maybe a couple percentage, but. I know interest rates are going up, but they're still not going up fast enough to meet the demand, at least in most parts of the country. This is not a cross because every market's different and you should check your local market and all of that. But um, at least where we are, people are waiting for this bubble to come. And I just I don't see it Uh, again. I don't have a crystal ball. Like, who knows? I didn't know. You know, no one. I thought prices were high before COVID and then COVID happened and now they're even higher. So. It's just we're in a very inflationary market. People have a lot of money. People tend to invest in where they can lock in interest rates. So they're locking in with real estate. There's not a lot of inventory. People who are getting loans are solid buyers. A lot of them are even cash. So it's not like people are having these like mortgages that are, you know, overblown. Again, there might be a course correction, but we're not talking of like a massive drop. At least not right now. There's no indicators. Now in a couple of years, yeah, of course, who knows? But um, that's kind of what I'm seeing on a broad trend. So we're actually still looking to buy. Um, we own three houses right now. We've house hacked where you live in one unit, you uh, rent out the other, which has helped us to catapult our expense. Our, I'm sorry, our investing because it allowed us to save significantly. On yeah, definitely. Costs. So for some of the listeners who are considering investing in real estate, can you share what types of thoughts or suggestions to consider if people are considering using that as a tool to reach financial independence as well? Yeah. And I will say real estate, I think, is the fastest vehicle for wealth building and is the most amazing vehicle because you can mess up and not mess up. Uh, And I love house hacking. I think it is great for someone who wants to get in real estate And the reason why I love it so much is it's the lowest risk you'll get in real estate because you are uh, you're buying. It's essentially buying a house. So you have a lot more uh, finance options that are much friendlier to someone than as if you were an investor. You can get like an FHA loan or even conventional where you're only putting down three and a half, five percent. So you don't need to save up as much, which allows you to maybe spend a little bit more on a house because this market is so competitive you can go a little bit higher because it's not just you paying the mortgage. It's somebody else covering the mortgage as well. And so I love this strategy. I even, I really love it with you have kids. I know people think of a lot of people think of house hacking as, you know, kind of, uh, what's it like, you know, bros living (laughs) in a house and really like living in like a bad area and it's not great. We did it with kids. And the reason why it allowed us to buy into nice neighborhoods that we never could have afforded. And you, with the loan products that are available, you only need to do it yeah. for a year and you can do anything for a year. So yeah, you may have like people living near you. We bought a duplex when we did it, but like, who cares? You can move again. Like, and then you can go rent or do what you're currently doing. But I know it may be a lot to move with kids, but you're setting yourself up for such success especially if you maybe do it for a couple of years where now your housing expenses are significantly reduced. 
that allows you to amplify your savings. So I'm all about house hacking. Plus you're living on the property. So if you like, you just make sure you do really good screening, uh, tenant screening, but even in states that are much more tenant friendly, if you're usually on the property, they're more landlord friendly because it's your house. Um, And you can learn hands-on without the risk, like you're there. So if something goes wrong, you're, you don't have to worry about paying a property manager. So you just have a lot more flexibility. You can learn about real estate. You can go and then if you don't like it, you could always sell or you can then maybe hire a property manager. But you just have options. And with the market going up, it's, at least for me, less risk. Like we were able to buy in an A-class neighborhood. And in our area, houses are like over half a mil easily. So we got into a house like that. We put down 5%. Which, you know, and then now our tenants are paying it off. And we did a 203K loan, which we did construction. We made one of the units was originally a one bed, one bath. And now we made it a two bed, one and a half bath, uh, two and a half bath. But our tenants are paying it because we just built it into the loan, into the rent rather. So we got, we improved the value of the house. We, you know, we have loan pay down. You get tax benefits. You get appreciation. You get depreciation. There's just so many perks to real estate. And I think house hacking is just a phenomenal way to get started. So if you can do it, do it. If you're afraid to do it, do it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And I still want to house hack, but we're, we've kind of, we did it twice already. And so there's, once you do it a couple of times, it's harder with the loan sure. products. So now we're getting creative in uh, what our next steps okay. are going to be. Very cool. Well, thanks for all that advice and information for sure. Do you sure. suggest that? many people do consider trying to self-manage or do you feel like property managers are the way to go or does it just kind of totally depend on the person and the couple and their situation? Both. Because I know if you're like in a really high paying job where it's just hard and you're not handy, then just outsource it. But if you want to really get into real estate, then it's probably better for you to at least learn at least some things before you, not to say don't ever outsource, but in the beginning I would say, you know, uh, if this is like something you, like I said, you really want to get in, you you definitely want to learn because you want to learn what the systems are. You can, you want to have an idea of just even the cost of certain, like replacing a hot water heater. Because even on even whether it's an investment home, like your house hacking or it's your own home, these are just good to know, like replacing a roof, you know, estimates, how to go about hiring a contractor because you may have to do it for your house too. So it's just developing some skills, how to interview people, how to... Uh, just network meeting other investors things like that so i i think it does depend on the situation and for those who are not interested in house hacking do you have a preference between multifamily versus single family houses or homes for rental properties do you prefer short-term rentals long-term rentals or again do you feel like that they all have their own benefits I think they all have their own pros and cons. So short-term rental we have not done, but we're looking into, but it's going to be a lot of work. So if you don't have a lot of time, short-term rentals may not be for you. Uh, Single versus duplexes, it depends on the market you're looking at and the kind of tenant. Single family, you may have less turnover, but at some point the rent will only go so high because at that point, then they'll buy the, they'll want to buy their own single family and not rent. Duplexes, you know, you have more economies of scale, but you know, you may have more turnover. So it just depends on what your goals are. And, but I will say you should learn what the pros and cons are. Pick one strategy and then go for it. Don't start trying to go for five because I tried that 
and then you end up sure. with nothing. Like just take one and just focus on it, learn what you need to learn, and then just repeat that if that's something that you're interested in. For awesome. sure, awesome, very sure. cool. So thank you for all of the wonderful information that you've been sharing so far throughout this episode. Do you have any last pieces of advice for the listeners today? I will say, uh, no matter where you are in your financial independence journey, and if you are a mom, uh, first of all, congratulations for listening to Cat. Cat's <laughs> Thanks, amazing. Jen. So, um, no, no, it's true. And so, like, you know, no matter how bad you may feel or how stressed you are with money, I, I know I said this earlier, but just like take a breath, congratulate yourself. You're on the right path. And so just be gentle with yourself. Be kind. We're so we're so hard on ourselves, especially as moms. We can't do it all. And that's OK. But just take a little step at a time, a little step at your time. But most importantly, be kind to yourself. That's wonderful. I think that's so important. It's so difficult to do. Everyone has regret when they first become financially aware and have their eyes open, yes. so to speak. But like you said, it can be so important to have some patience and you know respect for where you are and just make a plan to go forward. And if you are married, uh, have those be kind to be kind to your significant other. Well, yeah, definitely. Cool. So where can the listeners find you, Jen, whether it's on your website or social media, or how could they get in touch with you if they would have more questions? Sure. Well, first of all, definitely reach out. I really love connecting. I love talking anything, money, real estate, and whatever, just reach out. Um, but you can connect with me if you go to investormama.com slash connect. Uh, you can find my social media handles, all of the above. And feel free to go to the Investor Mama podcast. You can find me on all anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Pandora, all of the above. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely awesome. reach out. Yeah, definitely for all the moms out there, especially go check out Jen's podcast, Investor Mama. It's amazing one to listen to and give her some love by giving her a review and mentioning those things that you like about her podcast. Yes, thank you. That would be awesome. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for joining us on the show, Jen. We really appreciate it. Kat, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really, this was a great conversation. I had fun. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time, 